WMC HD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. How do you blow the whistle on a government UFO cover-up? What happens to your life when you do? When information does come out, how do we know that it's complete or even accurate? Hey there, and welcome to the uh, 488th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those curious questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So this evening, we bring you two guests uh, you've met before and a different discussion on a familiar subject. And uh, we welcome your calls, uh, if you so desire. And the number this evening is 248-545-7685. Larry Warren and Peter Robbins are co-authors of the British bestseller, Left at Eastgate, a first-hand account of the Bentwaters Woodbridge UFO incident, its cover-up and investigation. As a security policeman in the U.S. Air Force in December 1980, Larry became a prime eyewitness to the incident. Then, 30 years ago this October 30th, he became the whistleblower who blew the government's cover-up of the case wide open. Peter Robbins is an investigative researcher best known for his UFO-related papers, columns, articles, editorials, commentaries, conference lectures, and media appearances. He is a regular-run radio, including this show, and has appeared as a guest on and been consultant to numerous television shows and documentaries. He is a columnist for the new UFO Truth magazine, now published online from the UK by our mutual friend Gary Hesseltine. Peter will be a featured speaker at the first, UFO, first New England UFO conference in Leominster, Massachusetts, on October 26th. Both our guests this evening are natives of New York City. Larry Warren and Peter Robbins, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, it's good to return. <laughs> it's always good to have you return. <laughs> all right, so most, our, uh, so most of our listeners, uh, I'm sorry, I keep stepping all over what you're saying. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> just, just go home, Ben. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so most of our guests are, are most of our guests. <laughs> most of our listeners are familiar with the Renaissance Forest UFO case, but if you are a listener who is not familiar with it, uh, we direct you to the www.therendlesham4incident.com and to the podcast archive of special shows at www.behindtheparanormal.com. So, Larry, after this very long introduction, uh, this is evidence that you were uh, uh, drugged or. There, I'm sorry, this is. There is evidence that you were drugged and otherwise uh, messed with by authorities after the incident. How do you know that your memories of the incident are accurate? Well, how does anybody know that one through it is accurate? You know, it's uh, Colonel Holt's the one that really defined that and said that, there, that most of us were meddled with. All of us, including other guests you have on occasionally, uh, were, you know, went through injections, all established, and. How do I know? I don't know anything at 52. I mean, I don't know anything. You know, I just know what I went through, and I know uh, that there was a lot of meddling. But what leads me back to Cable Green is that I have a very clear recall where I was that night and uh, where I was posted and where I was taken to, who was with me. Uh, not everybody, because a lot of people involved. And uh, there's physical evidence in the spot where I thought well, I know that this thing happened. And if there hadn't been physical evidence on that spot, then I would be like, okay, well, was that all plugged in? But unfortunately, there, you know, for the skeptics, there is real scientific evidence of 
And now where nothing, it was said nothing happened in that part of the field, it seems everything happened in that part of the field now. And I'll be, go back to you, my friend. And if I can jump in here, um, Larry says he doesn't know, and that's really a mark of his incredibly blunt honesty. Um, in a funny way, I'm in a better position to, um, if not know, um, have some very credible findings. Um, Larry and I knew each other for seven years working on the book before he said, I really want to do a hypnotic regression to take me back to that night that, um, you know, I was detained, not by them, but by us. Um, he had told me the account that he remembered, which was in pieces, and, you know, parts of it kind of trailed off. And Bud Hopkins, who was my major confidant throughout the nine years that we worked on this together, um, and probably the preeminent regressive hypnotist in terms of uh, UFO-involved people uh, for his lifetime, um, immediately said, um, you know, have him come in this weekend. Now, at that point, I had witnessed more hypnotic regressions than I can remember. And Bud took a full half hour putting Larry under. Um, when Larry finally started to speak and Bud asked the questions and Larry responded, you know, Larry, we've known each other for over 25 years now. Um, that Larry that emerged that night, I've never had access to before and never really since. You were essentially a, a composed but frightened United States Air Force security cop who was still a teenager and very frightened. The memories were so sharp and so clear. Uh, the transcript is included in the book. And it included something that fascinated me going back to 1988 when he first spoke of it, 1987 in fact, which was a memory of at a certain point after he'd been subdued by an aerosol of God knows what, thrown into the back of a vehicle, brought and taken into a building and thrown into a small room that turned out to be an elevator, he remembered his ears popping, and he was insistent about that. And over the next years, I spoke with a number of uh, medical people, mental health professionals, psychologists. What I was curious about was, is it possible to have the memory, the, the physiological memory of something physical happening to you, like your ears popping when you're coming in for landing uh, on a plane? And none of them said they had ever heard anything like that. Um, Larry referred to some evidence, and this is another thing where, for me, uh, having trained myself as I have as an investigative writer and as a researcher, um, when Larry and I walked out to the field where his event had happened in Suffolk, England, and you guys have been there, you know it, Capel Green, we're going through the woods. It's the first time he's returning to the spot in eight years and two months. Uh, he's certainly uh, somewhat you know, distant from me, and I certainly respected that. And I knew where we were going. This place had been described to me so clearly. It was like visiting a place that I already had a sense of. And as the forest cover broke through, and as the landmarks made themselves apparent, the stand of trees, the farmer's uh, house off to the left, uh, ultimately when we got to um, the fence line, the oak tree that he had used as kind of a, a locating uh, landmark that night, his right arm shot out reflexively, and he just pointed out into the field. Now, all this was audio tape while it was going on, and those transcripts are uh, in the book. 
And he said, it sat right there. And then you hear a number of seconds of silence. And he says, if I'm off, it's by a word or two. But, of course, it's a coincidence that that area where it sat has, is discolored. And my first reaction was not, oh, my God, look, you know, discoloration left by a UFO event eight years, two months earlier. It was, yeah, that is a coincidence. It could have been a lightning strike. It could have been, you know, fertilizer that wasn't graded out. It could have been a play of light. Who knows? But the more we walked around the field, the more apparent it was that it looked different. I was shooting 35-millimeter film, walked into the middle of the spot after a while, took some soil, walked out 100, 200 feet, took other samples as controls. It looked different. It felt different. When we got back to the bed and breakfast, we mixed equal samples with water. The regular control samples turned to mud in a second. This one, you couldn't, you couldn't reconstitute it, even working it with the back of a spoon. Now, these results were scientifically analyzed at Springborn Environmental Laboratory by a respected scientist named Matthew Moniz, who's a real person, who I remain in contact with. And among the things that were found was that seed germination tests, seeds took much longer to grow in the affected area, and only mutant strains of plants happened. Number two, that there were more than four times the amount of tiny macroscopic flecks of metallic particles in the affected sample, suggesting to Matthew that a very strong electromagnetic effect had happened there. The silica in the samples in the field were normal. In the affected area, they weren't silica anymore. They were in an interim form of glass. They had melted. Uh, the list goes on. And the audio tapes, the first-generation audio tapes of Larry reacting the way he did were fully analyzed by voice stress analysis. Uh, for me, we have the very best physical evidence locating only Larry's spot from the third night. Nothing else has been presented except what's on the record, slightly elevated beta and gamma background radiation readings in the depressions where one of the craft landed, where it touched trees, forest uh, soil off. This is ignored. Also, um, the fact that in the original CNN 1984 uh, special report, which um, was CNN's very first special report in a three-parter, you guys have seen it, um, they continue to say, the naysayers, that nobody has backed Larry's account. Well, I've spoken to two of the guys that were there, and they have told me that what Larry says was accurate, and if we think they're going to come forward and subject themselves to the same crap he's been subjected to for the last 30 years were wrong. But if you watch that CNN piece, you will see one of the other men who was there, Sergeant Gullius. And when he is asked, he says what we saw in that field represented another life form or something. That is always ignored. And it, frankly, really pisses me off. Sure. Okay, well, we're going to take a break shortly. However, we still have time for the questions, and we want to get right to the, the cover-up issues. Go ahead. Right, 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 right. So uh, why and how did you blow the whistle on the cover-up? Uh, all right, yeah. The, all that other, you know, that's great, Pete. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's out there for people to look at and just come up with whatever they want to do about it. So uh, how, why it happened, it, it all happened. Uh, the events were, uh, you know, there was a suicide that's never talked about. There was a million reasons why I did it, and because it, I saw it happen in real time. I saw it, uh, the debriefing we went through, which was verified by Mel Ziegler, who's our 
chief security police and uh, the film I say we saw that all happened. Okay, could, could you just and, talk a little bit about that? Because I was going to ask about that debriefing. You know, then yeah, yeah. We, we, we you know, I, I've always heard it was in an underground alien base and all this. I can't control how people interpret everything. You know how the world is anyway. But in reality, it was in Major Ziegler's office in the security police uh, building, which was a small building for law enforcement back then. And uh, went in the office. We had a sign. All this, the other two were talking about, like, as if it's new, records missing, all this Machiavellian things that happen to everyone. Well, I've been on record with this 30 years. Yeah, Larry, I'll, exactly. I'll have to, I'll, we'll have to come back to this after the break. I'm sorry, yeah. we've got a break going on here. Okay. So uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. It's Peter Robbins and Larry Warren tonight on how to, on blowing the cover-up on the Rendlesham case. And we'll be right back, so stick with us. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Uh, before we took our break, Ben had asked the question of Larry. Uh, what is it that led up to the cover? Larry was giving us some background, and, and, and also was talking about the, the debriefing that occurred after the incident, December 19th. Oh, yes. So, Larry, Larry, go ahead and pick up where you left off. Yeah, well, after what happened to uh, me, uh, we, had a, we got called up to Ziggler's office. That was the first thing. And I had called my mother already, so I'd already made a, 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 caused a problem on the phone there. And I was with uh, Greg Batram, another uh, guy, another Air Force guy. And uh, we went up to Ziegler's office, and uh, this is where these plainclothes guys and the Department of Navy guy was there. And they showed uh, Ziegler didn't go in the office. He verified this to Brunei. If you read her book, she said this meeting did happen when told what I said. Good for him. That was surprising, I mean, after everything else in that book. But... Uh, we uh, got in, sat on a few seats, and it was the lower-ranking guys, some guys, and uh, uh, a lot of stuff I covered in our book, uh, was, was a lot of things were said. But it didn't say it was from outer space, it didn't say it was from the future, it didn't say, it just said the stuff, basically it's real, and this is the need for keeping quiet about it, which... I'd already not been very good at within hours. And uh, I was just talking to my mom about that uh, the other day. And you know, my family doesn't like any of this stuff. Even all these years later, they just don't like it uh, at all. And Peter knows that. It just, it's never been a thing for them that they're comfortable with. And not that they just, they're just uncomfortable what happened to me. And they, they're furious that I, they think I kind of wasted my life on it. But uh, who knows? I don't think I did. But... Um, we were called in there, and, uh, and you know, I, I knew, I had a childhood interest, or I had childhood experiences with definitely a non-human presence, unless they look like a, unless they, we change in the future drastically. And that the, we put it in the book, and, you know, some people might have thought, oh, that will kill your credibility, I don't care. It, it's true, so it went in the book. But, uh, so we, um, I was predisposed, maybe, and, uh, once the debriefing happened, or it was really talking to us, a lot of mind games. And this is before any of the narco stuff happened, the hypnosis, whatever they did to us. And I'll say right now, there was no underground base. Even though Peter talks about the elevator, you know, who knows? I, now, I don't want it to be that way. I have 20 minutes, 10 minutes of conscious imagery from what I... It makes it sound like a science fiction movie, right? Way before anyone was talking about this kind of thing. And it's very disturbing. So you tack that on, it can make everything else you say its reality look bad. But a lot of it was plugged in. So I don't think there's an alien base under that base. I do think there are on Earth, definitely. And uh, and if there was, I hope not. I don't want to know. I don't know. But I know there was manipulation. And it was. And the thing with Bud, the hypnosis in the 90s, with Peter in the 90s, I didn't want to remember it. I, I, I said to Bud, I don't want to remember this. So that will tell me that I is actually, you know, under hypnotized. And I didn't remember what I was saying, which was amazing to me. More, And I didn't listen to the tape of it. In fact, to be honest with you, I've never listened to the tape of that. And I have a copy Peter gave me somewhere here, and I've never listened to it. it 
Peter has, obviously, and Bud did. I trusted Bud to do this, and I knew him for a long time. And he doesn't lead people, and this and that. It, what came out came out. Some names came out, and some scenarios are very clinical and much different than the thing. Because in the book, I, that chapter, I talk about things in real time as it was in my head at that moment. You have to get to the end to kind of see there's many possibilities. It's a problem with the thing, and I'm not the only one that uh, had this done to us. But nevertheless, we had to be briefing. Footage was shown. There was that was silent, non-narrated. There was stuff from Vietnam. There was definitely one clip from the Nam era. There was uh, the uh, fifth special forces or seven. The red flash on their beret at that time. I don't know if they still have it. And it was a, a hill fire base daytime. There was film footage from Korea. Uh, no aliens at all. And then there was a, a scene from the moon, and it was the ro lunar rover section, and it showed them zoom or onto uh, this um, uh, thing on near a hill. Uh, it was definitely on the moon. And no, and it was a head game, but it was. I, I have no doubt it's, uh, it was authentic footage. So we had all this craziness in our head when we left that place. We weren't under guard. We weren't into anything. And you'll love this, because immediately at that point, it was lunchtime. So as we're walking back, people, we were talking, going past the guard shack, heading up to the base, the, the flight line. And it was uh, overcast day, and I, I remember seeing the guard there. I think I knew them. And I was talking to a few other guys who were known, and uh, we're walking by, and someone said, I heard so-and-so was helping create a diversion because they think the press is all coming up. Now, I didn't know that there were two previous nights of activity at all. So when they say there were rumors or people telling other things to people and then you decide, well, that, that'd be a good career and you just make it up as you go, but it's accurate to every detail for years. I mean, it, you know, this is the nature of this kind of thing. But I can remember clearly this and uh, being really feeling ill physically from exposure to something, a metallic uh, taste in my mouth. My eyes were destroyed, which is documented, is medically documented. I'm no doctor, but doctors looked at it all, and they, from the Air Force, it's all there. It's all authentic. Halt's gone through it all, and, you know, he wanted it to be not authentic, but it is. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and of course, on your show, we finally said I was, there and all that, and uh, he didn't just mean on the base, so we go past that. And uh, but he's done that to other folks. That's nothing against the guy. Yeah. But now I head over to the, uh, the Chow Hall, we call it, and there's a security police table. And I asked our friend about this when I saw him in 2010. It was Jim, I'll say, and uh, he and was Jim on the base. Yeah, yeah, and he was on the base. Sorry, I didn't know him, but I knew who he was. Didn't know he'd gone through anything. I see, he didn't tell me nothing, and uh, I'm sitting talking to another person, uh, Airman. Uh, we had all, majority of us had been in Texas, and we're replacing part of the squadron. That's why we're all on flights as well, all in there. And I sat at the table, and they had a gun rack. I didn't have weapons or anything. We sat and reading, and he's at the end, and this person across from me said, you know, what the a word uh, happened to us, and I said, and Mr. Penniston said, Warren, shut the F up. Now, I asked him in 2010, I said, you know, can he verify that, you know, to Georgie? And I said, you know, 
remember that? And he goes, yeah, he said, I was just looking out for you, you know what you're getting into or something like that. Maybe he was. You know, I, you know, I don't think he was, you know, some evil agent of anything. I, maybe he was. He was in the Air Force for years. I was new and had a big mouth. So, uh, but as now months went by, I mean, there are a lot of things going on. That night is when I got clipped and we were taken in the car. And it seemed, you know, the hypnosis showed it was aerosol hitting me and another individual who was known. And uh, thrown in the cars, all this. If there's an underground facility, I, I'm, I'm told it might be wing intelligence. I, I don't know. I'll never know. And I never will. So right. it is well, so, part of the folklore. So how, how did you, when and how did you, did you uh, blow the whistle? Yeah, well, okay, come to March of 81. Uh, I knew Adrian Bastinson, my reporting official. And we'd see each other. A lot of the witnesses were going off bases on stuff based on TDY. I went on a TDY. I have all the proof in the world, even though I'm not going to, you know, just dance to people when they demand it. Other people have it, actually. And uh, we, uh, they'd separate people, it seemed to be the case now. And I um, would see him, and I, I knew he was there that night and all, and uh, finally, he had a girlfriend at that time named Cindy Schultz. And she put a note, which I still have, on the back of the, bent, uh, the All Ranks Club's kind of a yellow piece of paper. Uh, Busty wants to see her. That's what we call them, Busty. And it was put under my door, and we, him and me hooked up, as recounted in the book. And uh, he's, he's a bit older than me, not much, but a bit older. And we were... Uh, you know, he, he told me a lot of, you know, we really got to know each other in this sit-down, you know, and he didn't tell me to go tell his story. He never told me none of this that keeps being promoted. Uh, else I'd have a great memory, and I have a crap memory on anything. Uh, and it was an emotional thing. A number of things that happened on the base I had, there were all kind of spooks around, for real. One was named Mark Reese, and we were all having our own personal problems with uh, individuals, and um, we just decided what, someone has to get this out, and it was very sincere. The world has to know. Now, back then, obviously, if the internet existed and these phones people have, and all, my God, it would it, be insane, right? Oh, yeah. But it, it wasn't that way then, and, uh, you know, what? Do you, I'm a 19-year-old guy, idealistic, and, you know, I, I just wanted to get out of there. I got out honorably. I uh, wasn't doing the job. I was still a security policeman. I left the Air Force with my beret, the whole bit. It was never snapped out or anything. And, uh, but I was, you know, there's demeaning things, and then you're doing honor guards the next day. It, it was just head games. They wanted me out. It was better off out than in. Did you have and medical discharge? No, not at all. I had a uh, fully honorable discharge. Okay. Yeah. I have a, I have a reenlistment code that doesn't exist. Halt knows that too because we've personally been with him. It, it's on no books and it's a 4M but there's no such thing. It has nothing to do with medical. Yeah, I was fascinated by that uh, book. Yeah, and, uh, and it's authentic. There it is. I can't, we can't make that up. And uh, the records are sealed just like John was on your, you know, and he has his lawyer. Good luck to him because I went through St. Louis. This is 30 years ago we were doing this. Records classified. Congressmen couldn't get at them. Peter's aware of all of this. In fact, it's in the book. All of it's true. It was Congressman Jerry Solomon from New York at that time. 
and fighting. He just backed off. My father's friend from the Connecticut National Guard, he was the commander. My dad was in, in the same industry, business with them, and uh, they golfed together, and the guy just stopped talking to my old man. You know, it started really... He was trying to get me in the Connecticut National Guard, and he just said, hands off me. He says, I can't do a thing for this guy. He said, what the hell did he get into? And then really avoided my old man. Mm. And, you know, my old man, they're innocent. My family aren't even into UFOs at all. So that's later, though. And uh, so I, long story short, I get out of the Air Force, fully honorable discharge. I got a breach of contract. I found a loophole via the lawyer, Colonel Persky. I sat with this guy, said, when I get... Steve Lapoon was slashing himself to get out. Other guys were just doing whatever they could to get you know, thrown out. Uh, I didn't do that, and I, I went to this lawyer. I don't know where I had to spend as a dumbass 19-year-old. I went to the guy, and he told me, I, I said, you know, this happened. I went through some of it, and he said, he didn't comment, but he said, what you need to do, when I was processing at that point, he told me how to do it, help me through it, and he said, make sure some of your records go with you in your bag, and I said, take my record, and he said, no, remove some, because he says, they're going to vaporize. He was 100% right, my records are classified, it's, it's always been the case, you know, people didn't like it, now other people are saying, and it's like it's something new, they're classified, they're not in St. Louis, where yours are, Paul, and going back to the Revolutionary War, they're in the National Security, they're open about it. I needed lawyers to go there. No guarantee I could even see them. I don't know. I was in the Air Force such a short time. I don't know what could be in it. But the records are classified. They're very open about it. My family got involved in this. My my old man, though, a lot of people that had some swing, you know, and I just couldn't believe. So I get out. Oh, yeah, we got another break, Larry. I'm sorry to interrupt you again, Larry. We've got another break. Uh, yeah. You're listening to Behind yeah. the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. We'll be right back to talk about the cover-up and the breaking of the cover-up in the Reddish yeah. Forest case. Be right back. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries. She floats like the storm. Grace on the water, lips like sugar, lips like sugar. Just when you think you've caught her, she glides across the water. She calls for you tonight to share this new life. Oh, she's flown to other shores To 
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New skyradio.com. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am uh, Ben. I almost said I'm Paul. Uh, I am Ben. And over here is Paul. Maybe somewhere, somewhere I am you. Any hoodles, uh, we're going to move on with our guests, uh, Peter Robbins and uh, John Burroughs with us this no, evening. Larry Warren. Larry Warren. Jesus. You must understand. I am extremely sick. <laughs> John I am having fevers. Anyway, uh, now, now uh, for something completely different. Um, I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh dear. Yeah, good stuff. I wanted to get into um, the, the consequences of the. Uh, oh, just uh, in five minutes, if you could just sum up and tell us exactly um, what, how you blew the whistle on, on yeah. this, this cover up and what has happened to you in the last 30 years. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, basically, I, Connecticut, Stuart, really. I was down in Connecticut. I saw an article in the Harper Current. Only a couple friends of mine knew about the thing at the time. Didn't know it was coming out in England. I went out to get cigarettes one night. I asked my uh, dad's wife. I was staying at my dad's at, at that point. I said, need cigarettes? I went down. I saw Omni Magazine. I saw a little article that it was something rumored about it in England. I ran home and freaked out. And uh, I said, my God, people are talking about this. But then I remembered my father and them didn't know what the hell I was talking about. So that was a sit down. And then one day I had oral surgery and I was looking at the Harper Current newspaper and it was an article on a woman named Betty Andreessen, who's an abductee. And I thought they were completely insane. And uh, I said, wackos, I'll never forget it. And I ran right to, it listed where her husband worked in Middletown, Connecticut in the paper. And I called up and I said, I'm not drunk. I sounded it with my tooth. And I said, something happened to me in the Air Force. I need somebody to talk to. As you can tell, I'm not from a family where I didn't think I could talk to them. And um, great people, but they don't ride this wave too well. But better than I thought they would. I met with them. They invited me over. I sat down, long chit-chat about the whole bag. Listened. They were open-minded. I was very re- about beings or life form or anything. I, was, I didn't mention it then because... In 1980, late 82, you didn't talk about that stuff. You got tardened. First people who wiped you out was the UFO people. I knew that, the uh, UFO community or whatever it is. And um, I just had that sense, so I didn't mention that. They had a friend, Larry Fawcett. He was part of CAUSE, Barry Greenwood. I met, Larry was an active police officer and a lieutenant in Coventry, Connecticut. We got together with him. I gave him all the details I could, times, approximate dates, this and that. I, he filed uh, through Robert Todd on my information, FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, and by, I believe it's June of 83, I, got a, I came in from work, got a phone call with Larry, and he goes, we got him, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, there were months in between all this. They had had my story, they, it was the first book it appeared in, Rendlesham, was called Clear Intent. 
and it was all government stuff, and that's where they called me Art Wallace. I've never used that name, never wanted it. All I said is, I don't want, I'll use my name if other witnesses ever come forward. So Barry, Barry made up Art Wallace, and it just keeps coming up. It had nothing to do with me at all, and I've never used it, and I think I covered it. So we had the Halt Memorandum. Uh, things started going, you know, here you got some hard evidence. I said, oh, my God, Colonel Holt, I remember him and all this. And uh, sure enough, the, uh, it, it really snowballed. And I could see the UFO researchers, you know, it's very easy to become a performing monkey for the researchers, you know, in those days. It really was. The witness was not important. And in my view, they are the important thing. And um, I wasn't going to have that. So anyway, we uh, that happened, and the memo was sent over to here, United Kingdom, to assist researchers, and we'll mention them, and who and what, and a lawyer took it and went to the News of the World, which is a tabloid. We didn't know it. We had nothing to do with this, and they sold the document for 25,000 pounds in U.K. money in 1983, which was about $70,000 now or something. It'd be stunning money back then. And uh, they sold it, and it was sent to assist, not to profit from. I could have sold it to the National Enquirer, and never forget that, for $5,000. And my old man, I said, oh, five grand, I can you know, get a Harley or something. He goes, is your name on it? And I said, no. And he goes, if you do that, he says, I think someday you're going to regret you did because it's not yours to sell. I listened to my old man on that. I sure did. And I thank him for that. So, But these people ran and profited off it. I was a kid. You know, you think money, you know, great. Not thinking of the repercussions because it would have been just as well. Anyway, it blasts out. We hear through Boston, you could get the news of the world. Barry Greenwood's friend found it. And it had the front page thing, UFO land in Suffolk. I had spoken a reporter from them, but it was one of the news groups that worked for Murdoch back then, Keith Beatty, and I gave an interview. It was completely upside down and twisted and sensationalized in the paper. They went with the pseudonym, which I never used, and it's all fun, you see, it's all selling newspapers. But there was a document, it cats out of the bag. Next thing that happened, uh, Barry, uh, sorry, Larry, I gave him names of all the people I knew involved. Larry Fawcett pursued a number of them, spoke to them, interviewed them. Adrian Bestins was one of them. Uh, and um, Steve Lacoon surfaced because he lived in Mass, and we hung out a few times. And we, you know, we were just wild boys then before he became, went off to be a mercenary. And it just went nuts. And then I got this uh, offer to go to Japan uh, for this thing because it was so, it was like Beatlemania with uh, Rendlesham, uh, particularly in Japan. So I, and I'm they, sorry, uh, I kind of move it along, Larry. So how did you, yeah. so this, that's how it got out. Okay. That's, you know what? It was a series of things. I never expected it. I never expected anything would ever come out on it. And I had no idea what was going to okay. come out. And then I, uh, you know, you want to know how I met Peter? Yeah, well, let, let's go to, into that, how you folks uh, got together. Yeah, because uh, in our book, Left at East Gate, and I don't mind plugging it because we're real oh, proud of it. Do. No, it it's, actually, it's a great book. It, uh, thank you. It actually covers how this event, from my perspective, I'm not the only person did, but I am the witness whistleblower that did it. And frankly, no one in the infrastructure of the U.S. 
in the history of the subject has ever done what I did, and no one has ever uh, had their U.S. passport suspended for doing what I've done. And that's another little thing the UFO field like, used to like to ignore. Yeah. So Absolutely Peter, true. Name uh, me another person, man. There ain't one. Yeah. So, Peter, so I must be both saying of you, something you, right. How'd you, how'd you both get together? <clears throat> Well, I, I can set it up. I, I, let me let just. I, Whitley Strieber told me in '85 you should write a book because I was already being misrepresented, and I had this crate. '86 I started with the title, this idea, not a trained writer or anything, and uh, I needed a co-author. I wanted an objective voice. I wanted a triangulation. I knew that in my head of a story. I had no idea where it would go. Had the title. Didn't like the, There was a guy sniffing around to do it. He wasn't right for me. Nice fellow. I went to D.C. to do a MUFON conference of 50th anniversary of whatever it was at uh, uh, JFK, American University in D.C., and I met Peter at that after I got thrown off stage by uh, Walt Andrews, who was the director of MUFON, because he didn't like the subject. I had to write a paper, which ain't my bag, right? So I told everyone, I said, listen, I'm being censored by these people. I mean, it's literally on stage trying to get me off. And I said, I'll speak to anyone outside that wants to hear what I came to say. And I threw the paper away because I frankly don't need notes to remember what I know. And uh, I met Peter that weekend. We met him because I'd met him earlier some years before, but just in passing. Take it away, Pete. Yeah, um, I'd just like to... um, backtrack a little bit. We, we did meet in earnest that weekend, and we both had heard each other speak. Larry heard me on a panel on abductions. Yeah. I was representing, I was the only non-abductee on a panel that uh, Dr. David Jacobs was uh, chairing, uh, uh, dear uh, Debbie Jordan uh, of Bud Hopkins Intruders was on it, Whitley, a number of other people that had been through this. I was there representing the view of people who grew up with an abductee in the family. Larry heard me, heard something in what I said that made him feel that I was the person he wanted to write the book with. Um, I wanted to do an interview with him. He came down to the city the next weekend, and uh, we basically thrashed it out. And by that Sunday, we shook hands. Of course, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. I knew it was going to take a year or two, cost us a couple of thousand dollars, maybe get us to England. Um, and uh, we would be rich and famous and chasing away women and endorsing checks for the rest of our lives. And, of course, as you know, that's exactly the way it's worked out. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, But you know what Larry is guilty of, which is getting in people's faces, being abrasive, never backing down in the face of any of the positions that he has told, uh, that he has uh, taken, and... This is something that um, other folks have been trying to wear away at, saying, um, if I guess they think if they say often enough that Larry has changed his story, that other people will buy it. Um, I'm afraid I have to stop the story. We have another break. We will be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Email on CBS New Sky Radio with our guests, Peter Robbins and Larry Warren. We'll be right back. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries.
control. One of us is right, one of us is wrong, and I know that you're not coming home. There's nowhere to park after it gets dark. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call me 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Hey, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. We're going to get right back to our conversation. Uh, Peter, you were filling us in. Please continue. Yeah, I, I see we're coming into our last segment here, so let me uh, just hit the, uh, the key points. Um, a lot of people have theorized about how Colonel Halt's now very well-known one-page memo uh, relative to unexplained lights came into the public realm. Um, there's only one reason it came into this, which is, again, after Larry Warren spoke with Larry Fawcett, uh, besides being a UFO investigator, also a uh, lieutenant in the Coventry, Connecticut Police Department, Fawcett and... Um, Oh, um, cause Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. Bob, um, what's his name, who did the FOIAs for them, Larry? Um, Bob Todd uh, put together a Freedom of Information action. And some months later, it resulted in the release of the Halt document, which, again, as Larry said, was forwarded to England uh, as a courtesy, was sold to the news of the world. And that is how that document got into the public realm, only because of Larry Warren. 
How Did Halt's now very well-known 16-minute segment. And a lot of people don't know that it's a segment. It's an audio tape. Um, okay. Uh, that also came through Larry because um, it was given to him by a well-known Japanese uh, television journalist, and Larry is the one that got that into the public realm as well. Um, I continue to be really disturbed, irritated more, by the sniping that's been going on, attacking his credibility over the years. And now we've worked together for over 25 years. Good Lord, he's the angry brother that my parents never gave me. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, uh, Larry and I um, are very much looking forward to Nick Pope's book, uh, that he's writing with input from John Burroughs and Jim Pennison about their experience. And, of course, um, it's a very important story, what happened to them in their terms. Um, my, um, It's not even concern as much as it would be such a distraction if they want to use this splendid opportunity to uh, attack Larry as they've been doing repeatedly for years. And in a very condescending, uh, snooty kind of way. Um, they, I'm quoting here, uh, there is no doubt that he, Larry, was one of the first whistleblowers. No, he wasn't one of the first whistleblowers. He was the whistleblower who played a key part in getting the story out in early years. We commend him for this. However, his story has changed so many times over the years that we are unable to take him seriously. Moreover, in evidential terms, all the other witnesses were in groups, so each person's account is corroborated. Again, I've made it clear that there are other people that were with Larry, two of whom I have been in contact with, who have confirmed his account. But why would anybody want to put themselves through what he does? Does it has? Does anybody think for a minute that if they come forward, Larry will be vindicated, or that these two guys will then be attacked by the people who do the attacking? Well, this in is contrast, all, Larry's I'm going to have story. to interrupt you, Peter, because yeah. you know, we're coming down to the end of the, okay. the, the wire here. But I refer everyone to our special shows on our podcast page at BehindTheParanormal.com because uh, we were all on, everybody was on, and, and these things were discussed. And, and I just want to give you a chance to tell people where they can get the book as well. Left at Eastgate? Left at Eastgate. Um, you can buy it through any online bookseller, Barnes & Noble, um, Amazon.com. You can get it directly uh, from our um, publisher, Cosmo Books, in New York. It is available in e-version as well. And um, you can friend me on my Facebook page and buy it directly from me here, or directly from Larry in the U.K. Excellent. And, Peter, I, I also wanted to give you a chance. That we really got to get a plug-in for the uh, New England UFO Conference yes, in Lemonster, Mass. So we'll, that, that'll be October 26th. We have some information about it during our announcements. And, Peter, what are you going to be talking about? Well, I asked um, our, our wonderful organizer, Steve Fermani, what he wanted me to talk about. I gave him a list of about 15 topics. He said, Rendlesham, give us an update on Rendlesham. As Larry has said, and other people have quoted, this one will never go away. So that's what I'll be speaking on. You've got uh, Stan Friedman, uh, the ubiquitous and amazing, um, Kathleen Martin, perhaps at this point, well, certainly one of the world's ranking uh, abduction experts and uh, niece of Betty and Barney Hill. Robert Schroeder, Mark D'Angelo, some other speakers. It's going to be a wonderful event, and we want it to be an annual event. So if you're remotely in that area, come on and join us. We're going to have a great day together.
There are a lot of listeners in the wing, especially to our Monday show. And I want to remind everyone, too, we we're going to have a drawing on uh, our Monday, October 7th show, one week from tomorrow, for two free family packs of four tickets each to that event, the first New England UFO Conference, Eleminster Mass, Saturday, October 26th. Among the speakers, as uh, Peter just said, will be uh, those those names and the UFO, uh, major names in the UFO field. Uh, ben and I will host the UFO movie venue. We'll interview speakers before a live audience between movies, and we, we ourselves will present a program of our own on UFOs and the paranormal after dinner. So for tickets, in case you don't win the contest, visit uh, nyufoconference.vpweb.com is a link on our show webpage. Right, all you have to do to enter uh, the uh, contest itself is to send an email to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or drop us a snail mail at Behind the Paranormal, care of WOON 1240 AM 985 Park Avenue, Winsocket, Rhode Island 02895. Please include your name, address, and phone number. There's no charge to enter, and since we're already receiving entries from every which where, uh, we should point out that the drawing is only for the tickets. That I repeat, only for the tickets. It does not provide transportation or accommodations if you win and happen to live in Rendlesham Forest. And again, the drawing will take place on the air on Monday, October 7th. Okay, very good. All right, fellas, uh, we're just about out of time. We've got to do the rest of our announcements. But uh, thank you very much, Peter Robbins, uh, Larry Warren, both good friends of ours. And Larry, I take this opportunity. I know we love a lot of folks in the uh, Woodbridge uh, area listening. And we want to thank everyone for the wonderful uh, and warm uh, reception we received when we visited. Uh, I can't believe it's a whole year ago. And uh, hopefully we'll be back next year. It was really great. Larry, especially you, uh, wonderful to meet you, and you're a great friend. Indeed, it was a lot of fun. Gentlemen, thank thank you you so much, and we will continue. Hopefully, we'll get all the information in at some point, but we do refer people. Never going to happen. Well, probably not. Probably not. But we will be in touch, fellows, and we'll look forward to seeing uh, you, uh, Peter, and and hopefully as many people as possible in Lemonster in uh, a month. Absolutely. Very good. Right. Okay, folks, so on November 10th, we are scheduled to do our 500th show. I don't know why I was saying December 8th. Uh-huh. November 10th, our 500th show, and that will be right here on CBS New Sky. Uh, we'd like to hear your suggestions for what you would like us to do with that show. Uh, the general opinion right now is that we should do a wrap-up of our best show since our debut in 2008, and that'll include, of course, some, some of the clips from our Rendlesham shows, in which there are at least 18 hours. Uh, so let us know, anyway, if you have an opinion on that subject, on the Behind the Paranormal show page on Facebook. Drop us an email at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or ben at behindtheparanormal.com or write to us at the address Ben already gave at the W. And uh, we had a great evening on uh, uh, September 25th at the Harris Public Library in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Big crowd came. We got many questions. And then we got promptly kicked out after all the questions. library closed. Yeah. Uh, On October 23rd, uh, we'll be speaking at the Lincoln Public Library in Lincoln, Rhode Island. And it's free and no registration is required. And you can find my books on Barnes & Noble Nook, e-reader, and Amazon Kindle. And because so many have requested it, we are about to embark on an audiobook project for my book and the one uh, that Ben and I are currently working on, uh, Cosmic Journey Behind the Parallel. All right, so many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson, and we will see you next week on October 6th when we will welcome back cultural anthropologist William Gladstone for a look at the uh, power of the Twelve. Uh, so get your questions to us at paulatbehindtheparanormal.com or via our show Facebook page. And we leave you this evening with a thought from Mother Teresa. Spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time.